Good morning. I forgot an announcement. I know. Imagine that. I am really excited about this, actually. Uh, we have started a partnership with something called Joliet Cares. We're one of only 10 churches uh, in the area so far. Hopefully more will join us. But one of 10 churches in the area that does this huge event called Joliet Cares. It happens April 18th, where um, people can come and get food and clothes and their haircut, and doctors will look at them and dentists will look at them and, uh, I mean, just everything. Last year they served, I think, 400 families. Um, something just outrageous. Uh, we're joining in that and collecting goods to be distributed that day. And also, uh, they're looking for hairdressers and other uh, aspects of, if you have a service that can provide to help um, a family out, uh, that, that's the day to uh, be helpful. Uh, so we're, we're starting that out. Uh, Melissa King is over here. Would you wave your hand, Melissa? If you need to talk to anyone about uh, that day, please talk to Melissa about that, as it looks like Tina's already doing. It's really exciting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, So anyway, what we've got happening is called Undies Sunday, all right? And so we're going to, what they said last year is undergarments were missing. Well, I don't know about you, but undergarments are pretty important to me. And so we're going to fill this need. That's what we're just going to own. We're not going to. We're not going to do a lot of different clothes drives. We're not going to have you guys, you know, every month ask for different things. We just every time you go to Walmart, if you just pick up a different brazier or underwear pack or whatever you want for someone else, doesn't matter what size, you can pick whatever size you'd like. Guys, I wouldn't go in the brazier department. But, uh, that's, but whatever you'd like. Every time you go to Walmart or Meyer or wherever you go to shop, just pick up an extra pack. And uh, the last, I think the last Sunday of the month uh, until April, we'll be collecting them. So there'll be collections out there. We'll take them at any time, but that's when we have it. So Undies Sunday. Uh, all right. This is a very felt need that we can fill. It's just one little thing. We thought it'd be funny and catchy that you guys you were like, okay, we can't get that out of our head. Uh, so um, that's what we're going to do. The first collection will be next Sunday. Um, and so we're excited about that. So Monday, Sunday, please uh, participate in that. And even in the bigger goal, go ahead and mark on your calendars, April 18th. We need people, especially uh, Spanish-speaking people, uh, to translate or to work with that um, to help the families go around. Like Kelly knows enough Spanish to understand what they're saying, but she can't speak it back. So she's like, okay, I can figure this out. Uh, but maybe you fall in that camp. I don't know, but we need, uh, need people. Maybe you know people who would be interested in being translators that day. We'd love to, uh, to work uh, with that. So this is a very exciting time. Uh, it's one of the organizations that our church has said, hey, you know what? We're going to buy into that. We're only going to do that with one or two organizations in the community, but this one is like, hey, we're going to be about that. So it's a big once the, one end of the year uh, push that we're going to have. So uh, there, that's our commercial for um, Juliet Cares and Undie Sunday. All right. So uh, we're getting back to our regular scheduled sermon series now that I've embarrassed myself talking about underwear from the pulpit. Uh, what's next? We're in the series called What's Next? Now, at this time of year in January, this is kind of a, a common theme. Everyone from the president to us are doing the what's next for the country, our church, our community, whatever it is, what's next? And you've been doing the same thing probably in your own home. We're going through and organizing everything. So if we're going to take on this next season of the Hauser household, things finally need to get a spot. You know, we moved here, we've been living here, but it's still kind of like, where is that? I haven't found it. Um, And so room by room, we're just starting to chip away. Maybe you guys are doing that. Yesterday was the sock drawer for Kelly. 
I think she owns like two socks now. She's like, I'm going to throw away every sock that has a hole in it. She didn't know that she's only going to have one pair of white socks for the next, you know, until <laughs> the, the money envelope gets full for clothing money again. Uh, but I'll let her buy a couple pairs of socks. It's okay. Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, maybe Kelly. <laughs> We're going to be, be robbing the uh, Juliet Cares. Oh, uh, no. But what's next? We ask this in all the kind of different attributes of our lives. What's next? What's next for my job, my family, my career, for our house? What? is next. And we've talked about this the last couple weeks, and I urge you to go back and listen to those messages because they were really about how to figure out what's next for yourself. Uh, You can get those on a podcast. Uh, We're on podcast uh, from iTunes, and we'd love for you to listen to those if you weren't able to make it. But today we're going to kind of start shifting away from just ourselves and looking outside of ourselves for what's next. With this simple truth, We cannot step into what's next until we remove the things holding us back now. We cannot step into what's next until we remove the things holding us back now. If you have chains on you, or you're wearing a parachute, you can't do what you want to do in the future because you're stuck here and now. This takes different forms. Maybe it feels like you're in a a job that you have no control over. I understand that. Maybe you have a situation at home that's, that's holding you back. Maybe you have a habit that's holding you back. Maybe you're so mired in debt that you can't even think about what's next because now is really painful. Maybe you have wounds or whatever's going on in your own life that's really kind of mired you in cement that you cannot be available. You cannot step forward into what's next until we take care of What's holding us back right now? As I was preparing this message, I started thinking about how do I get healthy for the next year? And health, we've talked about it several times, but healthy plants produce healthy plants. Healthy things make healthy things. You don't go to a dead tree and go, what? wish there was an apple on this tree. I don't want an apple from a dead, nasty-looking tree, right? You're like, mm, it's gross. Healthy things produce healthy things. So how do we get in this spot that we're starting to become healthy so that, therefore, we can produce healthy things? I think this is going back to all these different avenues in our life. We have to get healthy financially. Got to get healthy, healthy-wise. And that's, a, that's a big deal. I cannot be available to God if, you know, I'm worried I'm going to have a heart attack if I start I move two feet. Perfectly honest with you, I've tried to do the whole eating right thing. I got to get in the gym, right? I got to make that, that's got to change. I'm eating a lot better. Eh, if you're sitting on your rear all day long, it doesn't really help, right? Amen, you know, people are like, mm-hmm, I don't want to talk about working out, Jared. That's just not fun at all. Got to get healthy in all aspects. Got to get healthy spiritually. Got to get healthy emotionally. Got to get healthy financially. Why do I keep on bringing up money? Because if you're mired in money, if you're mired in debt, you know that you are not healthy. Because that's all you think about. Your job gets way more stressful when, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, does it not? Those things start to consume you. I want, I don't want my hands on your money. 
I know I talk about we went through a series, we do, do other things about money. I don't want my hands on, on, your, on your money and on God's money. I want you to be able to put your money in God's hands. That's what I want to equip you to. It's not like, oh, Jared wants your money, wants your money, wants your money. No, 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 no. I just want you to be able to be in a position where your money can be in God's hands. That's, that's, that's my goal. We're, we're even, we're so committed to this. We're going to have a, we're starting a new thing this life group season. We're going to have a financial peace university, uh, the Dave Ramsey thing, uh, life group here at the church. We want you, like, that's not a Jared thing. This is not me going, oh, well, I'm such a financial expert. I'm not. I'm going to point, somebody's going to push play on the video, and Dave Ramsey, who is the expert, is going to do it. I, I really want, if you're in debt or you're wanting to take the next step financially, you, want, you know that's an unhealthy practice in your life, I really want to plug that life group for you. To take the step to say, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to see how I can grow in that and how we can set uh, my, our family into a new direction there. So that's a little plug for that, but that's going to be happening soon. Why I talk about this health and why I talk about what's next for us is because one of the goals I have for myself and I have for this church is I want to be so healthy. I want to be so healthy that life gets better when I enter a room. Like, I want to be so healthy that this church makes Shorewood community healthier because we're here. That we're such a beacon of culture change for this community that things get better. That when I walk into Home Goods, that I, this is my goal to make one of those ladies just laugh out loud because of some crazy antic I'm up to. I usually go in there with two or three guys, which is really funny, to walk into Home Goods or Kirkland's with a bunch of guys. They have no idea what they're doing, and they're like, yeah, it's just fun. But we just try to make people laugh at us in a good way. We try to bring smiles to people's faces. We try to, and what are you guys doing? What are you buying for? Well, buying for a church. I'm a pastor at Shorewood Church of God. Oh, you are? Yeah. Talking to the Kirkland's ladies this week. And I said, if you walk into my church, you're going to be like, this is our store. <laughs> I feel at home, all right? And so you're just going to be that way. And so I'm just trying to keep on, keep on doing that. But I want it to be, you know, working retail is not so fun every, time, every once in a while. I try to make sure my things, when I mess them up and I have a big pile of things, I put them all back. Just silly little things. But I want to make people's day. I want to, when I enter that place, when I enter RQ for the eighth time this week, you know, knowing the, the owner's name and talking to him. And this week I talked to him into putting a little macaroni in my, uh, my salad thing. It was great. You know, macaroni and cheese. Whew. You have to try it yourself. It's okay. Pulled pork parfait. I highly recommend it. <laughs> With macaroni and cheese. But building those relationships, just in the community and just with each other, those come out of a place of health, that people are magnetized to that. Kelly and I experienced this. Um, this really came in light when we were Christmas shopping. Now, when you go shopping at Christmas, everyone thinks, oh, this will be fun, right? No, it's a stressful time. Well, Kelly and I, we, we pawned our kids off on my mom. And we said, hey, why don't you take them for the day? This will be great. And so we were going to go get all of our Christmas shopping done without children. Now, that was beautiful. Right? That was a great, that was, I could have not gotten anything else for Christmas. That was wonderful right there. But we just, we just, we didn't have any kids and we were going to go Christmas shopping. Because when you shop with kids, and especially like five-year-olds, it's like, don't touch that. Go stay by the cart. One hand on the cart. You know, you're like, turn into a policeman and you need a whip or like a lion tamer. Get back here. You know, and, and then you're mad and you're cranky. And 
Uh, and my kids usually listen. And I'm still mad and cranky about the whole thing. But you're like in the van. You're like, all right, guys, we're going to go to aisle seven, then aisle nine. Go team. You know, get in, get out. That's all you do. Kelly and I pawned off the kids. Oh, celestial choirs were singing. We went shopping at Christmas. And it was the best time ever. It was probably the best date we've been on in 10 years. No kids. Hit the Cinnabon place a couple times in an hour. <laughs> we're, and we're, but we, we, why this was so important is because we just enjoyed each other and talked about us and how we wanted to bless our kids. We spent entirely too much money. If the kids were there, we would have spent way less money because we'd been mad at them. <laughs> but, but we were there. We were there. We, we were walking through the stores and, and, and just dreaming about, oh, it's so exciting that you, know, you could see what they used to play with last year and what they're going to play with next year and thinking about that and trying to fit their personalities and just just ooing and awing over who our kids are and who we are as parents. And that was just really, really neat time. Out of a place of health, we got rid of the kind of our parachutes, not to demean my kids, but we got rid of the, the hangers-on and could really be present in the moment. And I think so many times we are so to-do list oriented in our community that we miss to be present, that we, we can't even, our health can't rub off on anyone else because we're so me-focused. And so I just, I want to urge us as we walk through Dominic's or Jewel or wherever we're at, that we kind of stop. Okay, wait a minute, wait. If I take three more minutes and just be nice, is that going to ruin my day? Probably not, but it could make somebody else's day. I want to be so healthy that, that we can't help but change the culture around us. Now, we've been studying Saul and David, first, the book of 1 Samuel, uh, a lot more on Saul so far these last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue talking about these great men of the Bible. And David, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, really exemplifies what it looks like to create a culture, a better culture, whenever he enters it. And here's a man who is, I'm going to tell you the story before the story. David is a war hero. He's killed the biggest giant in the land. He has uh, done all kinds of crazy spec ops stuff. He is just a warrior. He's a man's man. Everyone loves him. He's like, woo! They make songs about him. He is the man. Well, Saul, the king at the time, gets really, really jealous about this. And he gets paranoid about this. And he gets consumed with David's popularity, so much so that when David enters the tent, Saul takes a spear and chucks it at him. This is his best warrior, his best general, the best guy he's got, and he's so consumed with him that he is throwing spears at him. Talk about, you know, a bad day at work. Right? You think you had it bad. I don't like spears. Well, you don't work with Avon. No, I'm fine. <laughs> it's only post-it notes. It's okay. We deserve it. Well, Kevin deserves it. I don't know if I do. Um, but when, we, when David is approached with this, this horrible situation where he is being chased around the countryside, he's literally fleeing for his life from his king, from the guy he would sacrifice anything for. He's running away from him. He creates this culture around him that is magnetic. This is amazing to me. That, you know, when I'm having a bad day, it's like no one come near me. No one wants to be around me. It's all of a sudden I turn into pig pen. There's this cloud that's around me. It's like, danger, danger, walk away. Right? Facial expressions, body language, everything. Eh. 
David, in this moment of being spears chucked at him, creates a magnetic environment. This is, this is amazing to me. Uh, Samuel 22, 1 through 5. David let Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men with him. Do you, I've read this book probably 100 times. I'd never really picked up on this before. He's just had the spears chucked at him. He's run away from his life. He goes to flee to be in a cave, to be by himself. And people start finding him. They want to be around him. Isn't this crazy? Think about it when you had a bad day where people are like, oh, I want to be around you. You're sunshine on a rainy day. No, this is what's happening there. There's a coming to him even in his most distressful time. I want to show you where he's at. I think we have a picture of the cave of Adullam. Maybe. Okay, there it is. All right, you see, I get to use a pointer. My mom bought me this for Christmas because of the last time. Here's the cave of Adullam. Oh, yeah. So if you're here in the cave of Adullam, it's like a little grotto inside there. It's, it's okay. But look at the, you know, the beautiful lushness that's around it. Wait a minute, no. Right about here, all right, about a quarter of a mile this way from that cave is the Dead Sea. Appetizing place, right? You want to be there for vacation. The Dead Sea. It's all dead there. You can't drink that water. This is the place that he has run to. He has gone out into the middle of nowhere. It's 120 degrees on a cool day there. So what he's doing, this is where people are meeting him. This is the cave of a duel. Hey, let's go here and hang out. Does that sound fun? Not so much. But that's where they start to find him. And one of the things that's going on here is probably Jesse and his, um, his sons, Jesse's uh, David's dad, they know he's been kind of kicked out of the court and he's running for his life. And so they, they bring their households with him. They're probably all armed men or pseudo-armed men to say, okay, we'll protect my son. But they form this little band, this little band of miscreants, of runaways, of discontents. What happens next is really interesting to me because these are when they're attracted to David. Some of them there love him so much that they want to stand up for him. Others are just attracted and they want to be around this guy. Next verses. From there, David went to Mitzvah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and then they stayed with them as long as David was in the stronghold. But prophet of Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. David left and went to the forest of Hereth. This is interesting. All right, so they're hanging out in the cave. And David says, we got 400 people. The cave is getting a little crowded. All right? So we, we move away from this and go to the king of Moab, to his castle. Now David is bringing 400 men with him. David is the greatest general around, is he not? So how he gets in the door is that the king of Moab says, Hey, I'll take David on my side. Saul's an idiot, right? I will take this guy on my side. He can be my mercenary captain. I'll have David. No one in Israel is going to want to fight against him. This is perfect. And so King of Moab brings these people in, and he thinks he's getting a great deal. All he's got to do is feed them, and he gets David as a captain. And so David is probably working on a mercenary thing here and saying, okay, I'll, I'll protect you. I'll do what you need to do. It's okay. See, at this point, David's got a choice to be made. He's got security. 
He could stay there the rest of his life. King of Moab is more than happy to pay his bills for him. I got David. But in this moment, David still says, you know what? God's telling me to do something else. I can't stay here. I can't stay put. I love that David's first response, though, is to, is to, is to provide for his family and for these people who, who care so much about him. This is how he builds this culture, why people want to stay with him. We do this as well, and we need to do this as well if we're going to be healthy in the vein that David is. During persecution, David aligns his priorities properly. It's a fun tongue twister. I tried to see how many P's I could get in this sentence. During persecution, David aligns his priorities properly. And what do you mean by that? He's not still going, he's not stuck in the cave of a duel and going, oh, wah, 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 woe is me. He says, all right, I got people here I got to take care of. Let's do this. Yeah, my life's rough, but you know what? I got things I got to do. I got to take care of mama. I got to take care of these guys as mamas. How are we going to do this? He aligns his priorities properly. I think this is amazing because sometimes when I am faced with adversity and stuff, my priorities go out the window. I get really self-centered. I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to step on your toes, but I get really self-centered and maybe old habits of mine when things are going bad start to pop back up. Old bad thought processes and old, old habits that I do that, ah, oh, I haven't faced that in 10 years, but now when I'm stressed and things are going wrong, I just kind of slip back in those things because my priorities get out of whack. David, when, when stress comes and when these overbearing things happen, he keeps his priorities aligned properly. Secondly, David rests in security and not paranoia. Saul is paranoid. Saul is paranoid, so paranoid about his tenure as king that he is trying to kill his best warrior. David is trying, just trying to take care of people. He rests in security and not paranoia. This is really interesting. David, going back to this choice, David with paranoia would have stayed with the king of Moab forever. We, the end of the story would have ended there. David would have been the guy who killed Goliath and never king. Maybe the temple never is built. He's never obedient in all the other ways that he is. But instead, he rests in security. He takes care of what needs to be taken care of, and then he is available again. He's always available in this. And for us, I think this matters to us because if we're honest with ourselves, maybe, just maybe, we are a little more on the paranoid side that's dressed up as security. Well, I can't talk to this person or I can't have this conversation because I don't know what they're going to think of me, and I don't know how they're going to treat me, and I don't know all these other variables. Well, I'm pretty sure if you say, hey, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? They're not going to shoot you. This is not a security issue. It's a paranoia issue. And paranoia is defined as delusions of persecution, unwarranted jealousy, or exaggeration of self-importance. And when I think of my own life, and I think of some of the ways that maybe I haven't spoke to my neighbors and haven't haven't reached out the way I, maybe I should, I think it kind of maybe falls into more of a paranoia type thing and not a security thing. 
I don't know how people are going to be mad at me when I want the best for them. Because if I really look at it, hey, I think, you know, I'm going to church and it's really helping me with this, this, or this. I'm going to church and, you know, I, God's really changing my life. I think you, maybe you want to come with me. If your friend really gets mad at you about that, that's, you just want the best for them, right? But it's the self-talk, it's the self-doubt, it's all this, this, these tricks of Satan that go in our head that's going to keep us, this paranoia type stuff. Oh, I can't ever say that. I don't want to lose that friendship. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose that. Oh, they might hate me. I, I might not be able to borrow the lawnmower anymore from my neighbor. I, all these different things. And as I read this this week, and as I thought about this this week, I thought, security is really important. It's one of those drivers of a man, like, i got to provide security for my family. But when security becomes the crutch, when security becomes the God, it moves into paranoia. And we do this with money, and we do this with, with our, our personal relationships. We do all these things that we get so focused on accumulating wealth or accumulating something. So, so oh, then I'll have arrived that it becomes our God. It becomes our paranoia and not just security. Does this make sense? There's something that I, I hope you wrestle with this and you think about it as a parent, as, a, as, a, as an adult, as a, as a person, just as where I'm at. Am I seeking security or do I actually have security? Because what David does, he, he gets everybody safe. And this is the difference between security and paranoia. He gets everyone safe and then he relieves the situation. He knows he can go back. Mama's still there. <laughs> I know I can go back, but... I'm called to something else. I'm called to better. I, I need to be obedient. I need to go out. David is obedient as we need to be obedient. When the prophet of Gad calls and says, hey, you need to go back to Judah, David says, all right, we've taken care of it. They're secure. Let's go. And I think this is one of the things that makes people magnetic when you feel secure around them. When you walk to somebody, in the farthest thought in your mind is that they're going to talk about me or they're going to backstab me or they're going to hurt me in some way. But this person's secure. I can be here. You know, these people at work, or you just can't help talking to them. You're like, I don't even know why I'm telling you my life story, but I just feel so safe and secure talking to you right now. It's weird. I have a friend who's like that. I, I purposely would start conversations with him, and I was going to say, I'm not going to talk. I'm going to only ask him questions. And I'd still talk for 45 minutes straight and he wouldn't even say a word. Because he just had this way of like just pulling stuff out of you. He's a counselor now, imagine that, right? But he, he would do that to you. And I, I, think, I love those kind of conversations. I love those kind of, kind of personalities that you just enter the room and you're like, okay, I'm all right with this person. What does it look like when we start to become a church like that for this community? When we start to be people like that for our family and our friends and for the people around us? So I ask, what's next? What's next? Can you go where you are led in your current condition? Because David took care of his security issue and he was ready to go out. But in your current heart condition, emotional condition, whatever, are you available to go on to what is next? And what are the roadblocks keeping you from being available to that? If you're in debt, you're shackled to someone else with money. Proverbs talks about the borrower is slave to the lender. Got student loans. I understand this. Right? 
You got a mortgage, you know. The borrower slave to the lender. What is shackling you that way? Is it your health? Let's take some steps to get healthy. What are the things that are, are shackling you, are keeping you from going where you are led in your current condition? Because when, when you know, we, we pray about it a lot, we think about it maybe a lot. I don't know if you do or not, but I know I do. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you want this to work out? And if God answers that prayer and he answers that conversation with this, and I'm like, oh, I can't do that because of this, this, and this, and this. Uh-oh. I need to orient myself and orient my life so I am ready and willing to go. I can be a first responder. It's not like, oh, my house is on fire. I really wish I knew where my hose was. Right? Can you go where you're led in your current condition? This is something that you really got to think about. Maybe you're going, I don't know. I don't really know what that means. Self-reflection is good, but reading some of these, the smaller letters in the back uh, that Paul writes, in Philippians and Colossians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Those, um, the Sermon on the Mount, reading that scripture as a, as a mirror for yourself to like, oh wow, these are areas in which I need to work on. That the Bible will act as a mirror of who you can be and where you need to be. To start Start getting to be where you, where you can be uh, available in any situation. I want to be very clear. This is not about earning your salvation, but participating in the kingdom of God. This is not like getting rid of all the junk in your life and, and all this stuff doesn't like earn your salvation. That's, not a, that's a theological problem. It's not like, oh, I'm better now and we're okay. I'm going to get to go to heaven. It's about participating in the kingdom of God. At the end of the day, when God asks me to do something or I feel led to do something, I don't want to be giving him all these different excuses of how I can't do that. But just say, okay. And know that all the chains that I've had around my heart are already broken so that I am available at a moment's notice. Think about it this way. When I was a swimmer, we would practice and practice and practice one thing. It's probably the most, one of the most important things in swim practice and the easiest. Going for mile, five miles a day, swimming back and forth is important. But this is more important than that. It's called streamlined position. Ashley knows what I'm talking about. Right? Streamlined position is the most important thing because I can swim as hard as I can. And if you don't have streamlined position, you don't go anywhere. Streamlined position is taking away all resistance from your body. There's a reason, as a 17-year-old boy, I shaved all the hair off my body. There's got to be a real good reason for that, right? (laughs) Not my eyebrows for some reason. I was okay with the resistance from my eyebrows. There's a reason that you do that, because of the resistance. You want to cut through the water as easily as possible, because the faster you can cut through the water, the least resistance that you have, the faster you will go the more effective you can become. There's a reason people don't wear big gym shorts when they're swimming. Michael Phelps is not like, oh, I like those Hawaiian jean shorts. I'm going to swim in those in the Olympics. No, no, no. He's got some compression crazy suit that like 
makes him, I don't even know how, it makes it more streamlined. It has little ribs in it that makes the water come off at a different velocity than normal swim suits. Sorry, you guys don't care about that. It's amazing. But it's all about having the least amount of resistance you possibly can. In fact, I had a special pair of, of trunks that had pockets in them. They had little parachutes on them for more resistance. Because when you, when you go with that resistance, it slows you down, makes you work so much harder. You take those bad boys off, woo! you felt like you were flying. Because we want to take all that resistance and throw it away. Maybe you feel like you've been running the mud for a long time. Emotionally, you've been stuck in mud for a long, long time. Spiritually, you've been stuck in mud for a long, long, long time. It feels like you're running everywhere you go. You have a parachute on your back. What is that parachute? What are those things? It's time to cut those cords so we can go at the speed in which God has has designed us for. Let's build a culture where life gets better when you're in it. Let's build a culture where life gets better when you're in it. It's important to work on ourselves in a manner not just to be better, but to be more available. And this goes back to that security and paranoia part. If we work on ourselves just to be a better person, just to be all we can be for us, if if we work on ourselves just for us, then it's just, it's for nothing. But if we're working on ourselves so we can be more for the kingdom of God, it's everything. The how we orient ourselves, how we orient our, our lives is so that we can be more available for this God who loves us and cares for us so much, who has redirected our life. That that is how we make the decisions of our lives. Healthy things produce healthy things. I want to be a church community that even, you know, if the economy crashed tomorrow, we can still be a beacon in this community. If, if things changed overnight in our, our little town, we are healthy enough that we can be the beacon, that we can change this place, that we can offer hope to hopeless. And that comes from us. It's not just a a thing on Sunday morning. That's not a a new coat of paint, and that's not a changing the kids' ministry. That comes from the overflow of what God is doing in our lives and how he is redirecting us. That individually, we need to make the, the, the decisions to take the parachute off. And some of those might be painful choices, painful relationship choices, painful uh, habit choices, hard choices. But it's so worth it to be available for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for our lives. And thank you for these moments. Thank you that we can be people of God. Thank you that you are guiding us and directing us. Lord, for us that are confused right here in this moment, that are confused in this time, I don't really know what's going on in 
may we feel like we are being persecuted. God, that you would show us in our lives where we can get better. Make it abundantly clear. What are the things that are, the shackles that are holding us back from fully experiencing you? The shackles that are keeping us from being totally available to you. God, this week, would you remind me when I, when I get so caught up in my to-do list, when I got so caught up in my busyness, that it's about people. That you'd let me slow down enough to make somebody else's day. We love you. We praise your name. Amen.